What's good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Pro and Bro Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Arnold Telegarda. And I'm missing no days off, Fred Rosser. And I've been a nervous wreck all day long. Uh, episode 66 is in full effect right now. And uh, I've been a nervous wreck because we've had a lot of guests on. We've had uh, writers on. We've had superstars on. But this is a first for us to have a promoter on and um i always say time is money and um this particular promoter he gave me my opportunity he gave me a call and said pack your wrestling gear you're going to come to the west coast so he was my first opportunity to wrestle out on the west coast wrestle guys like brent albright um a plethora of other top superstars just recently i pulled up a match of carl Anderson uh, I had with this particular promoter but you know this is going to be a long one for us Arnold uh, Dave Marquez thank you for being on Pro and Bro Wrestling Podcast I always say don't die with the story and you tell it and you the OG have a story thank you for joining us you got it bone crusher <laughs> <laughs> David man I've been told that some refer to you as the Pope of wrestling how do you feel about that? <laughs> I've heard that before. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, it uh, we were joking early on about my age, but it's uh, <laughs> when you put that there, it's like, <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's flattering, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I've been around a long time, 30 years, and worked with an awful lot of people, worked all over the place, areas all over the globe. And um, I've had uh, a lot of opportunities, and uh, I try to share those with whomever I can so uh but no the Pope of pro wrestling that's uh <laughs> I'm sure there's others I'm sure there's others out there that would uh disagree with that <laughs> no I think I think you deserve the title man you're being humble but because you know you've been in the game for 30 years and I think it's so cool because you're so successful in what you do but uh in the beginning um I learned that you weren't even a wrestling fan to begin with I heard you wanted to become an animator am I right that's correct. I wanted to be a Disney. I mean, I'm sitting there with a pencil in my hand, which I don't think many people do. It's just out of habit. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, growing up, um, I, I'm from Los Angeles. Now, I'm, I'm one of the few who are natives, um, but uh, uh, born and raised in the shadows of the movie studios and uh, all the TV stations here and entertainment. And uh, I grew up in a Puerto Rican house, so there was always a lot of music and fun. And um, television was really my babysitter. And uh, it's like, I can probably tell you the 1976, 77 ABC lineup from the morning the news ended and Regis started uh, <laughs> all the way up until Dick Cabot. Um, that's how much of a, of, a, of a TV nerd I was. But um, in syndication here in LA on Channel 9, we had... Uh, and I'm sure others have the same story uh, if they're around my age, but we had the wonderful world of Disney still on television. But the thing that was different about that show than what it is now is that they were the old ones from the 50s and 60s. So Walt Disney was the actual host when I was a kid and it was in color. So I thought Walt was alive. <laughs> I didn't know that he was, that he was gone. So, so many he, conspiracy uh, theories about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can verify. He's very dead. Um, <laughs> but um, growing up, I was just mesmerized by his program because he 
he would go on television and tell you like the most incredible thing. And then he was like, well, and we're making this. And you're like, huh? <laughs> like, what do you mean you're making this? And so he'll show you audio animatronics and, and how th th those things work from the Tiki Room and the Pirates of the Caribbean and wow. uh, on and on and on. And then the animation side of it, the plausible impossible and in all these other episodes, which are now all on Disney Plus. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so you could see what I'm talking about. But no, I saw that and I was just mesmerized by, uh, the, the, by the animation process. But then deep down, it's storytelling. So then I was like, well, okay, well maybe this is, it's all the same. But how I ended up in wrestling was, was because in about 1988, 87, 88, computer animation started becoming really big. And I had never touched a computer. Uh, everything that I had ever known about a computer was like on the Jetsons or Tron or uh, War Game, oh, the movie War, War Games with Matthew Broderick. Uh, he starts the war with the internet by sticking the telephone. Like I had no idea what, what, what that was. So I thought I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I didn't pursue it. No one ever said like, you still needed to know how to draw. So, um, uh, which I'm lacking big time these days. Uh, but um, yeah, so that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I wanted to work for Walt Disney and I eventually did at Disneyland when I was a little older, but yeah. How often do you share your story? You know, because every time I have someone on, it's near and dear to my heart, you know what I mean? So like, how often do you get a chance to share your story? You know, uh, you know, time is money. Yeah, I don't, I don't share too often. I mean, I, it's interesting, <clears throat> I do a few of these a year and uh, I'm kind of like, unless you're close to me, I'm rarely invited on these shows. So uh, I'm kind of like the afterthought when it comes to wrestling, you know, I'm not a, I'm not loud like a Gabe Sapolsky or um, <laughs> some of these other promoters that yeah. are really in your face and in the internet or like a Court Bauer or something. You know, I'm, I dare say reserved, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty private actually, um, which Me is too. weird to say. It's very weird to say that, but I am. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I don't, I don't tell it too often, uh, but when I do, you know, it's uh, it's usually the you know the stock answers. We really don't get into, you know, thirty frames a second and uh, <laughs> you know and all kinds of goofy things. But yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't get to tell it often. You know, uh, you know, you're really punctual because like I wanted to make sure that we were on time. I don't like being late for anything. You know, <laughs> Arnold had sent me the link. You had texted me saying ready, and I immediately sent you the link, you know, time, time is money. You know, Arnold, the one thing I love about Dave is like for me, 2020 knock on wood with the wrestling, uh, it was just primetime live for me, ran by Dave Marquez and my stuff with uh, New Japan Strong. So it was just back and forth, back and forth. And uh, uh, the one thing that's great about Dave is that like, like he, he, he just gave me the freedom to be creative. You know what I mean? Because all the matches that I had on primetime live, they were like produced by me and I wanted to be able to maximize my time out there and be able to utilize what, what, what we have, you know, I know there's no fans there, you know, but it's for me, it's, I, I look at it as a movie, a production, you know what I mean? So Dave is uh, a tremendous, um, 
a plethora of knowledge that just gave me the freedom to just have fun and be able to tell a story. So I just want to thank you, Dave. For sure, man. You're always a pro. And you say I'm punctual. I think that comes from my broadcasting side because, <laughs> we, you know, at six o'clock, I'm like sitting here thinking that we're going to flip a switch and there's going to be people waiting, you know, to watch yes. this. So yeah, I'm always, the clock is always ticking and, um, originally getting into television and news, you know, you, yeah. here it comes, yeah. boom, you're on the air. So <laughs> I really appreciate yes. that. Cause usually when, you know, we say six, it's, uh, which I have no problem with. It's usually like six o'clock, me and Fred hop in and we, I, we wait for our guests for about like five minutes and we do our <laughs> small talk. So it caught me off guard when I sent the link to Fred and then like you popped on, I was like, Oh, okay. Let's, we'll skip the small talk for now <laughs> straight to the podcast, which I love, which I love. Um, but you know, speaking of prime time, like, uh, I, uh, I, this might be a weird thing to say, um, but I really love the aesthetics of the show. You know, um, it looks very like polished. It looks very professional. And even though there's no audience and we all know that's weird for professional wrestling, uh, it still looks like a really good production. Yeah. Well, thanks. The, you know, the show was ran by broadcast professionals. Um, uh, we shoot the show at Thunder Studios. We're on hiatus right now. Uh, but, uh, when we got into the facility, um, Thunder Studios is made up of several stages. We're on the, probably the smallest one they have. <clears throat> but the neat thing about the room when you talk about the aesthetics is the uh, the stage is rectangular instead of square, um, mm -hmm. which does make a difference. Uh, we created somewhat of a forced perspective um, from where we were at. So yeah. where the cameras are located to where the LED is and the way that we created, um, we, we placed these pennants uh, across the, 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 the black sykes in the studio, <clears throat> the red, white, and blue. But the way they're laid out and the way that they're angled, it creates this focus point, I guess, uh, on the ring. And so the way that with the optics and the lenses and, and all that kind of stuff, and especially the jib, when you go back, that's the crane camera for people who don't know what a jib is. Um, when you go back and watch the show, how I utilized that um, is in the matches you rarely see an aerial view live of a wrestling match but i felt that we had to go there because there was no people and there was no cutaways or coverage as we call it and in live you, you really can't you, that that's not as important in versus a taped show or a recorded show uh recorded show we go back and fix everything but you really need those cutaways of faces and boos and yas and signs so that we can create that edit point mm -hmm. um but on a live broadcast that jib saved us so many times especially during downtime and you know uh if, if there was a, a thought process happening in the ring or something and we needed to go a little higher to kind of take the attention off of of the competitors and uh maybe we would run an advertisement uh, do a picture in picture, uh, something like that to kind of break it up a little bit. But um, thanks for noticing. Yeah, the, uh, uh, the the LED, the lighting, everything is very minimal too. If you ever visited the set or have the opportunity when we come back, um, it's uh, it is it is not you know Raw or SmackDown or AEW or even Ring of Honor for that matter. Um, I think we probably are using the most minimal amount of anything <laughs> in a in a wrestling broadcast. Well, Dave, but, Dave, Dave, yeah. Dave, sorry to cut you off. Let me yeah, tell yeah. you, when, when I'm there, uh, for me, perception is everything. So I'm going to make sure that it's larger than life production. 
with uh, with me arriving to the building because like a lot of what I've learned from WWE and the social media being a second job for us is that you know perception is is everything so arriving to the studio making sure I get good pictures and tagging the brand like that that that's so important to me absolutely and thank you for doing that the um like I think one of the biggest things that gave us this broadcast feel, this big television network sound, it was the sound. Um, the the the, uh, the person who does our audio, um, Alex, um, he's mixing, I want to say, 18 sources of audio during that show. We have 18 different microphones throughout, throughout the studio, plus the commentators and stuff. Um, but the theme song, that's an original theme song that was written for that show. And it has a real big broadcast vibe to it. Uh, just like you're, if you're watching the NFL on Fox, that's what I was kind of going for because I knew we would be la- lacking in other areas. Um, so every time you heard that, you know, it was an, it was like an audible cue for people yeah, to I go like, that. Oh, something is, something's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and on that same subject, uh, if I can geek out a little bit, I, we commissioned uh, a theme song just for the world title. So as we're getting ready to present the world championship, hopefully soon, to uh, me. much like, much <laughs> like, I hope to, <laughs> to much me. like the American Idol theme, like when they win, they get to sing a moment like this instead of the 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 winner's music being played throughout the the pageantry at the end it's going to be mixed in this new song that is the theme much like the olympics or something else that when you see the world title presented it has its own audible cue i don't think that's ever been done before that's that's really cool it hasn't been that's really cool (laughs) i like (laughs) david what was your first impression of fred when when you met him Oh, I thought Fred was a great guy. And what do I remember about Fred? I remember his mom. Um, no, but no, but when was it? Was it two thousand? It was in Jersey. Six, I don't. I don't remember what year that was and where we were at. Um, I know it was in Jersey. Um, uh, what year did I get out there to start actually doing stuff? Because I started a company out there with another promoter called Liberty Stage Wrestling. That's what got mm-hmm. me out uh, out to New Jersey. Um, in New York. Um, I don't remember the year because uh, wow. I had done stuff there prior to that too. But um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying to remember who introduced me to you or where I ended up. Were you ever on any of the cyber uh, uh, Billy Firehawk shows? Yeah, I did maybe one or two shows. Was like Jeff Jarrett on any of those? Yeah, man, I don't really remember. I don't remember. I know. I know me. But I think that's where I first met you. And then what we stayed in contact. And then we stayed in contact because social media wasn't as powerful as it is today. So not at all. I I, I remember I stayed in contact. I probably called you a time or two. And then I went back out there a few times to Uh do other things. And you were just always kind of in the air. Uh, Mm -hmm. Your name was always around. Um, Uh Were you doing stuff for Chaotic? Yeah, chaotic. Yep. Okay, yep. and I remember that too. So, um, ah. so yeah. So, so I just remember, and then following you too. Like when I meet someone, I try to follow uh, what they're doing, 
Um, and so through websites and yeah, what, whatever yeah. was happening, because video wasn't big that yeah, on the internet nope. then either. Nope. So it's mostly pictures, um, uh, local photographers, uh, uh, Mama, uh, <laughs> mm. uh, uh, Christine, um, you know, those area photographers uh, really kept yeah. me uh, abreast of what was happening on the East Coast. Wow. And then you uh, brought me over for your NWA tournament. That was, That's right. do you remember the year? 2007, six? Uh, it had to be one of those years. It's been a while for sure. Try to think of Pierce's when we get, when, when I was in Puerto Rico, when we did the finals, but I can't remember now. Uh, it was something like that. But yeah, so I yeah. had to put together this world title tournament. That was, when you go back and look at it, <laughs> everybody's in it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I know you own the United Wrestling Network and you also own Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, but I, I learned that uh, at, in the 90s, you actually owned the NWA, right? I was one of several owners of the NWA, yes. Okay, so how did you feel when uh, the first time uh, Cody went to the Independent, um, not the first time, maybe like a few years in, he really gave the NWA World Championship that spotlight with his 10 Pounds of Gold uh, documentary when he wrestled Nick Aldis. And I think that brought uh, more mm -hmm. eyes to the NWA Championship. How did, how did you feel about that? Sure, oh, it was great. I was a part of that. It was, that's, that, that was good. At that point, which is current, um, Billy Corrigan of the Smashing Pumpkins owns the NWA. So I, was, I helped him and David Lagana uh, with the deal and them to eventually uh, own it. Um, but, uh, you know, the stuff we did with uh, Cody was great. And this was pre-AEW. Right. Um, and, um, you know, that he lost the title back to all those at the NWA 70th anniversary in Nashville. Um, which allowed more storytelling and him to go off to do what they're doing now. But, you know, the NWA, I have this this saying about it. Some people like it. Some people don't. In the last five years, I've come up with it. It's, um, I originally joined the NWA in the 90s. And um, uh, even then, the wrestling public wants to say that it was dead. Like, this thing doesn't exist. Well, the truth is the NWA has not stopped running since 1948. In some capacity, some place, it's ran. So it may not have been on big television, but it ran. It, they were doing shows and, you know, Antonio Inoki was, was a member and an owner. Uh, we had people in New Zealand. We had people in Europe. We had people in Canada. We had people all over the place promoting the NWA. Um, and then when I got really into it, uh, in the nineties, my business partners were Harley race and Gordon Soley. So you don't get more NWA than that. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's always been a spotlight per se on what, and what we do. And there's still that kin, that, 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 that warmth that the fans have for, uh, the brand. And now today with what we did from with Cody and with, uh, Tim Storm has to take a lot of credit too because this whole thing was rebuilt on his back. You know, we had a Rocky Balboa type of a story of a, of yes. a 50, 50 plus year old man who's like a fourth grade school teacher. And, you know, he's from, he's from Arkansas and like no one's heard of him. And so we turned this whole thing around and it shot off all the way to NWA power. So, um, it's uh, it, it's great when people catch things because even prior to 
all this, like during Fred's uh, time participating in what we were doing, uh, Brian Danielson was slated to be the world champion. That what was supposed to happen, you know, but he, he broke his eye. Oh. And so if you go back and look at all that stuff from back then, he was the guest referee in the final match between Brent Albright and Adam Pierce. Adam replaced Brian and we had the match in Puerto Rico. And then, of course, with the eye patch, he couldn't see whose shoulder was down, and you know, things yeah. happen. Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, the NWA has a, a real big piece of me is in that we've spent uh, so much money keeping it chugging, and I'm just happy that it's here, and with someone who has the means to do something great with it. That's true. That's very true, man. Uh, 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 you talked about Adam Pierce. Uh, how happy do you see what he's doing with WWE now? Like, I think it's beautifully told. It is. If anyone knows Adam, uh, and I've known Adam for over 20 years, if anyone knows Adam and you, and if you were in his presence at any time, he doesn't, not even as NWA world champion, just Adam Pierce, whether it's him and Cabana, A Steel. Uh, what they called the Gold Bond Mafia back then. Um, mm. those, all those Chicago guys, Danny Dominion, um, Punk. Uh, they they traveled when I was in the Midwest. That's how I met these guys. When I was in Missouri doing wrestling, they were coming out of Chicago and all this. And from way back then, I just knew this guy had something to it. Not just him, to it. Like, he got it. More than anybody else, he got it. Um and then when we both moved to California, well, I moved back to California in 99, and he kind of came out here at the same time. And we both ended up at UPW with Rick Bassman, which was a WWF territory, a development area. And that's where I started working with Cena and getting him up and going and, and all that. But Adam was there too in a tag team. And it was just great to come in like the old territory system where we both come in and I came in from a production and booking side and he was just a talent but when we would when we would talk about stuff he just was totally on top of things and so when he told me he retired on my show the championship wrestling from Hollywood program I guess six years ago maybe left the boots in the ring the whole thing and I'm like yeah that was fun television but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know the truth <laughs> uh, but I knew he was going to the development uh, for to the PC for the WWE to be a trainer. And in my head, I was like, he's not going to be at that PC long because someone there is going to really recognize his talents. And Adam's talents are everything. He's a quintessential pro wrestler. You know, you give him the baton, he'll run with it. He did it with me for many years. He's done it for other people. And when uh, <laughs> when I started seeing and hearing his name as uh, head official. When I heard that, I think I read it first. I didn't even see him on TV. And I read it. He was the WWE head official. I was like, oh, here he comes. And the first time he's on TV, he's opposite Vince in a promo on Fox. On Fox. And I was like, boy, look at that. And I said then, I give this guy a year before he's in a match. Sure enough, they were pushing a match. I was like, look, this is it. No, I'm, I'm beyond proud of Adam. Uh, well, one of my best friends in the world, and uh, he deserves everything because that guy, he really did it the old way of territories because when you think about it, he booked my show. He left my show to book Ring of Honor. He left Ring of Honor. He came back to my show. Then he went right to WWE, and now 
he's probably getting four different paychecks for four different jobs. <laughs> he has such a uh, such an it factor towards him because I feel like he's one of those um, people that can tell stories just with their facial expressions. And you know, when I first saw him as head official WWE, uh, I had a I, not in a bad way, but I had a hard time believing him in that role because of his size. You know, I just feel like he's so like he's so big and like appearance wise, he's. He's, he has this dominant presence towards him, but as he gets on the mic, um, he he sold you, you know, he sold you on his mm -hmm. uh, character, and I just I just love his interaction with uh, Roman Reigns, and I think the last segment that he had was just pure gold, pure gold. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was during the contract signing for the Royal mm -hmm. Rumble, and when um, Reigns signed it, like that moment when <laughs> when Adam said, uh, <laughs> "Was that your dog?" Oh, I'm a fur dad too. I have a dog. I get it. <laughs> but that moment when he said, I've been waiting for you to do this all night. And I'm like, wow. Like just his, his facial expression, like that, that got me. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Super, he's super talented, man. Another thing about Adam that's great is his voice. So, I mean, one, he's a walking thesaurus. Um, he can just come up with words and so quick. Um, when he and I used to do interviews together, when I was the interviewer, uh, for for him being the world champion, you know, it, we we had a great chemistry. One, we were friends, so we knew we could say whatever we wanted to each other. But we also knew the shtick. We knew the Abbott and Costello. We knew what we can both get away with. He called me four eyes on TV. He would lick my glasses. He would lick my face. He would <laughs> um, he would do ridiculous things to me. I remember one we did one where he was eating popcorn and he was sitting and he was the world champion and. It was just coming out, much like the Vince McMahon storyline with the, but but with the internet, that I was the owner of the company. We 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 never said it ever, and it worked. Like because people didn't know, and the NWA was so big, we would always say Bob Trovich is the executive director, or Bill Barons was the president, or something like that. Um, and so I had to get on my hands and knees, and every time I would open my mouth to say, "Here we are with world," you know, he'd throw a piece of popcorn <laughs> in my mouth, or like we always made great TV that way. Uh, but when I heard his voice for the first time when he came into the ring to accept the title uh, match, uh, just me knowing Adam and his voice, listen to him when he's head official Adam Pierce. if you go back and watch it, and the first time he's in the ring as a competitor, mm. and then all of a sudden he has what I called his worker voice, and he became, well, Roman. Like, it, it got way deep <laughs> right there on TV, and I knew that. I was like, oh, they're going to have a match. Oh, Here it is. Man. And the scrap iron is on TV. <laughs> That's great stuff. And you know, speaking of It Factor, um, I also learned that you directed uh, John Cena's first promo. That's now, true. off the bat, <laughs> did you did you know that, like, this, this kid has something here? Yes. Um, I didn't know. Like, you don't know if people are going to become mega superstars. Same thing with CM Punk or, yeah. you know, I've known uh, uh, Brian Danielson for almost 20 years too, I guess, you mm -hmm. know, I never thought that, that he would become what he became in the WWE just with a three letter word. <laughs> like, like to me, I didn't know Brian had that in him, to be honest with you. Um, uh, he was so reserved and we were at new Japan together and, you know, he was all about, uh, you know, being the American dragon and all that. So when I saw him doing the yes thing, I was like, what on earth, what, really? Because I know if I would have asked him to do that, he would have laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> no way, I'm not gonna do that, that's so stupid. 
but going back to Cena, you know, the he came in right out of he was living in his car, I think. Uh, he had like a Volkswagen or something, and uh, he would go from Venice Beach because I'm pretty sure he worked at Gold's Gym in Venice, and he would drive from Venice all the way to Huntington Beach every day to go to wrestling practice because uh, that's where we were at with UPW. And that's where the school was. But then the promos were done a couple more miles south um, at, in Santa Ana at the uh, Galaxy Theater. So we had a little TV set up there uh, to uh, shoot promos and stuff. So, yeah, I directed his first promos. And, you know, he could talk just like he does now. Very studious. But the, but the bad <laughs> part was is that you know what I'm talking about. Uh, very... <laughs> he could like you when when he talks it's funny i said this joke years ago but when john would speak it's like you can see the letters coming out of his mouth like the caterpillar in alice in wonderland <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, the best it's just it's just so weird that he would talk and the letters would come out <laughs> of his mouth. it was just weird uh and i'm sure i'm the only one that saw it that way but he had a bad bad character a bad gimmick and i felt so bad for him because they made him a robot yeah, the prototype. And, oh, the prototype. And he had this crew cut. And it's like, here you have this guy. And he's like, <laughs> he's this, he looks like this, but why are, Why is he? And then they gave him that, that thing. And uh-huh. I felt so, felt so bad for him. I really did. And he did, wasn't making any money. But I knew once we started shooting the interviews that it, he wasn't going to be with us long. And, uh, and sure enough, he wasn't. Um, I think he was with us for a year, year and a half. And then he got his contract. Um, and then he immediately was shot down to uh, Jim Cornette. So we didn't have him that, that long. But the time we did have, you know, we put him in great situations with Samoa Joe, um, uh, Smelly, who is now Mark Bell, the, the bodybuilding, powerlifting maven. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a guy like Mark Bell to get a giant piece of elastic and say, put your arms in this. It'll help you lift things. Like, it's, it's just amazing. I think he calls himself now the meathead millionaire. Um, <laughs> um, but we had a real eclectic group at UPW back then. And, and, but, and John was a student. I'll give, him, I'll give him that. He was always open to suggestion. He was always there listening. Um, and with me specifically, like back then we were, the, the Galaxy Theater was a, uh, uh, a cabaret-like theater. So there was a stage, a dance floor, and then the seats that kind of went up Vegas style. Mm. Um, and the ring was in the, on the dance floor. But off to the, either side, there were bars. So okay. that's where the waitresses would come to get the drinks. Well, on one side, that's what I had to use to build our television. So I had to build, put a switcher there and all the cables and everything. And we dropped this curtain in front of me so that the people couldn't see me going crazy and yelling, <laughs> being me. Um, and, uh, but John would come around and sit behind me. And he's like, I don't know how you can do this. This is amazing. What are you doing? So it sounds he, like him. He would be like, man, you're an octopus, blah, blah, blah. And then finally he gave me the nickname Diamond Dave. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, he was a great guy. Great guy. I like it. I like it. So, you know, it's, I, I feel like you have to own the name, the Pope of pro wrestling. Cause you've, you've done so much, man. You've done, you've done it all. And, uh, on, 
<laughs> one of your many accomplishments, uh, I learned that you've actually were the vice president of New Japan for about five five years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and yeah you, five years. You work with guys like Carl Anderson, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor, TJ Perkins. If someone were to go back in time and tell you at that time when you were working with them, how mainstream those guys were going to be, would you have been surprised? Uh... No, I don't think I. No, I don't think I'd be surprised. I just, I just don't know. I just don't know, like, because my head is still. Well, then, yeah, was like you. You were, you know, you were the great Muda, or you were, uh, you were Hulk Hogan. Still, you know, it was it was still Goldberg and and Steve Austin, like these super larger than life type personalities yeah so like finn balor was he can barely speak english honestly oh. it's like his his accent was so thick straight off the boat like he was mm -hmm. you know he'd come talk to you and you're just talking to him and it's like <laughs> and you have to think okay i know you're speaking english but slow down um <laughs> you know tj was 18 17 years old uh uh, uh, and uh, Samoa was already the Ring of Honor uh, champion uh, mm -hmm. at that time, but you know Joe was already going places. And Carl Anderson, uh, I found him in Nashville, like <laughs> just and and got him over to the dojo. Mm -hmm. In fact, his mother begged me in an elevator to take him. That's the truth. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Please take him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but uh, and I changed his name. His name was Chad Too Bad Allegra. And I said, wow. I said, I hope you're not a headache. Like, you sound like a pain pill. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I changed it to Carl Anderson. The machine gun part wasn't me, but the Carl Anderson part was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I knew they would be someone in wrestling. Mm -hmm. I just had no idea that they were going to be who they are today. Um, like, even with the Trevor Murdoch. Uh, Trevor Murdoch, originally, I even gave him some of his first matches in Missouri. Or even someone who probably isn't talked about enough, John Cone. Mm -hmm. I gave John Cone his first matches as a referee in Missouri. And now wow. he's he's a big shot there. That, that I know the public doesn't know much about John's job, but he's a big shot at WWE. Yes, yes, so, yes, he is. So, you know, um, I know I have a good eye for talent. Mm -hmm. It's just you have to have the right machine behind you to make it work. Yes. So, you know, um, AEW, I believe there's so many diamonds they have, but they're so concentrated on an immediate reaction because they have to, mm. they can't necessarily plot out, in my opinion, mm. uh, you know, four or five years from now, because maybe they might not be here in four or five years. The WWE, on the other hand, has, has that guarantee yeah. <laughs> that they're going to be here for 30 40 50 more years if they want to mm -hmm. so they can plan and, and use people that way yeah. um so so yeah i i totally i knew they were going to be something in wrestling i knew wrestling was going to be their 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 day job yeah. um uh but i i didn't think that they would be wrestling mm, okay okay i get that. dave dave uh do you have like a proudest moment because for me personally it was helping two referees out. Um, one, I believe, is on SmackDown, Danilo Amphibio, and then the Raw referee is uh, Sean Bennett, you know, Bennett, yeah. who's who's doing ring crew, and he's 
uh, refereeing. So that's, that's double salary, you know, he's hustling, you know? So those are my proudest moments. Like really like uh, talking to Scott Armstrong saying, please, I put my name on the line. Look at these guys. These guys would be uh, a great asset to the family, the WWE family. So I put my name on the line for those guys. What's been like your proudest moment uh, off the top of your head in your 30 plus years in the business? Man, there's so much. Um, Helping someone uh, and then personally, you know, so too. So actually helping someone and then personally. There's been so many cases because a lot of things, and you probably know this about me, a lot of guys that, I, that I've known and, and helped nurture throughout the years, I've helped them on a personal level too, just to keep on track and not to fall off or go to uh, drugs or alcohol or like pills, whatever, try to keep their, them focused on what their prize is. So, and there's too many names to, to name there. Um, you know, uh, Peter Avalon has been a pet project of mine since he started. So he was probably 17, 18 years old when he first came around me. And when we started the Hollywood program 10 years ago, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood has been on the air for 10 years now. And Peter was a kid, but I knew he, much like an Adam, he he had it in him. Uh, he understood what what the show was. He understood his role, no matter where he was at on the card. He, I knew he got it way back then, even though he wasn't experienced. So I said from the beginning, this kid's going to be a project of mine. Let me see what I can do with him. And uh, our very first TV for Hollywood, I put him in the very first match that aired and he was against Cabana because I knew that, that Cabana would take care of him and Mm -hmm. put him in the right situation. But I also knew that, that, that Peter had the smarts to go along with it and play with it. And how I knew this was earlier in the day when we did the pre-tapes, um, I had Peter, so this was like a, a walk where Peter's going to the ring for the first time. No one's seen him before. So I did a, a, the box in the corner, let him do his promo in the box and the box go away. Uh, so I had him, while we were doing it, I was like, okay, go. Cause I had never seen him do it. So, you know, he did a really bad, indie type promo that was just whatever nobody cares and so I had him do it again and it was still was bad so the third time I gave him a line you know at the time Peter was like five nine and 132 33 pounds of hair (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and I said to him you're pretty Peter Avalon the biggest the biggest man in professional wrestling and he looked at me and he said but I'm not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I said you are if I say you're a purple dragon who spits green bubble gum that's who you are and and so he did it and he bought it and he owns it and here we are you know uh, 11 years later I guess and he's doing it on TNT he just did it the other night with Cody he was pretty Peter Avalon the biggest man in pro wrestling but it took him so long to fall into the role and understand the character and you know, we had him grow a mustache and all that kind of stuff. So to see a project, kind of like uh, if we go back to, to, to Disney in a bit, it's like the the Steamboat Willie or Galloping Gaucho versus all the way 90 plus years of what you get the evolution of Mickey Mouse today. You know, uh, I can look at Peter from the very, very beginning all the way now to what he looks like on television as of a few nights ago.
<laughs> so that that's a real proud piece. And personally, um, personally, yes. Um, you know, I've I've been able to sustain in pro wrestling um, and show business in general, not just wrestling, just show business, um, and still have a better than decent name. <laughs> um, it, it, it's very difficult, you know, um, and and I do my best. Um, sometimes you don't meet other people's expectations, but I try to. Um, but uh, I think that's that's that, that's one of my biggest personal uh, accomplishments is that I don't think too many people cringe when they hear my name. They usually have a laugh or a story, <laughs> um, but I don't think too many people go like, "Ah, fuck that guy," you know. <laughs> I'm sure I know there's a few that do, but <laughs> but, but, but I'm I'm more than positive that the, that, the, that the majority doesn't. So uh, I, I put it this way: people take my phone call. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, like you said earlier, uh, you've done um, so much more stuff out, uh, not just in wrestling, but outside of wrestling as well. Um, what do you find more most satisfying, creating content for pro wrestling, or do you find um, a better satisfaction creating con creating content for um, boxing or baseball? I I, I think just working. Oh, it's overall. <laughs> just 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 being able to work. I think is is the satisfying part. Uh, as an example, you can't see my desk right now, but it is full of papers, just just full of stuff all over the place with ideas, and um, uh, and I'm not exaggerating; it's stacked, <laughs> uh, folders, notebooks, little napkins, whatever, full of ideas, and the satisfying part of being, I guess today it's called the creator when I was doing this before it was called being a producer um, uh, that you were you're able to sketch something or write something down and then you know four or five months later it's a reality so if it, the, the fulfillment of putting that all together is great now the execution might not be there and at the end of the uh, of what you've done it might be total garbage but the fact that the fact that you've you said you were going to do something. You found the financing to do it. You actually did it. Someone actually aired it, <laughs> you know, and then you were done with it. So baseball, basketball, wrestling, uh, boxing, MMA, news, uh, 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 award shows, uh, concerts, symphonies, all that stuff, you know, it's, uh, it's all gratifying because you're being a television director is, is very different than being a movie director or, uh, you know, like a social media influencer where you can go back and like, oh, let's do that again. Let's do it. No, I, my job, I'm not sure if people know what I really do as a television director. I'm a multi-camera director. So uh, what we do, like movies, you have one camera, you set the scene, you can shoot it. There's a script. It's like, okay, cut. Let's do that again. Let's move the camera this way. Let's, let's take, let's do that when you're doing live television, especially sports, I'm watching anywhere between six and 11 monitors at one time. And my job is to create it seamless so that those 11 cameras, again, whether it's baseball or football or whatever, so it looks like it's your eye, it's your point of view, it's your eyes watching it. And, um, so the sequences have to be there and you can't miss the sequence. 
So if it's football from the quarterback taking it back, doing whatever he's going to do, you have to be able to hit those beats just like music. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and interestingly enough, I'm like a, a conductor of, a, of an orchestra because I'm talking to replay people live. I'm talking to producers. I'm talking to a Chiron operator. I'm talking to all the cameras. I'm talking to uh, uh, the audio people. I'm talking to the announcers. I'm talking to, at times, if we're on the phone with a network or a channel or whatever, we're, I'm on the phone with, the, with the, the, the end. So I'm speaking to probably 25, 30 people at one time and saying at least 10 different things. So it's, it's, to me, it's fun as hell. Uh, but most people, when they look at it, like, oh, my God, how do you do that? And, and to, be, to be truthful with you, I don't know how I do it. <laughs> it's just I do it. That's what I do. So uh, being able to create that seamless look is quite possibly the most gratifying thing, especially if it's your idea. You pitched it. Someone bought it. Someone paid for it. And you got it out there to the public. And hopefully they liked it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ar <clears throat> Arnold, if I was the Vincent man of wrestling, I would have Dave Marquez on my team. Totally. Totally. He's a plethora of knowledge. <clears throat> uh, when it comes to traveling, like uh, what's been uh, that you feel like sharing? What's been the craziest traveling story? Do you love traveling with the, the, the wrestlers? Do you love traveling with the production? Me personally, for my WWE experience, I love traveling with production people. I just, I always become more friendly with them and just, uh, just vibe with them better than the actual talent. If it wasn't Titus, Sheamus, or Mark Henry, I either drove by myself or I drove with like uh, Saxton, the announcer, mm -hmm. or someone like mm -hmm. that. But yeah, I love the production. You know, uh, who do you enjoy traveling with? Do you have a funny story? Oh, I have tons of funny stories. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just which one? Um, uh, I mean, I could talk about Savaldi's all day. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, that, yes. That kind of stuff. I mean, Ricky O stories, these stories, those, there's tons of stories. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I guess what I would do in the beginning to try to teach people lessons, <laughs> like when we get on the airplane, <laughs> Um, oh, tell me. I, I would never tell people, you know, like air, flight status, like younger wrestlers don't know anything about that. Right. Yeah. And so, of course, I'd get an upgrade and not tell them. And, uh, <laughs> and then everyone's sitting there, all their bags, their hats, their everything, they're overloaded, wherever we're going. If we were doing a tour, multi-day tour. And then when it was like Delta makes the ding, you know, so the diamond flyers come in. And I get up and start they're like, where are you going? Like, oh, I'm going to go take my seat what how come you're gonna go on first like uh, because that's what happens so and then you know by the time if you're in first class they're already giving you shrimp cocktail and all this stuff and then they yeah. come on and they're looking at you like what the hell what do you i have a cracker um so then they learn from that hopefully uh, down the line to start getting their flight miles but uh i have been at gunpoint twice both with vampiro <laughs> oh my goodness one in Mexico and once in Puerto Rico. Uh, Kevin Kleinrock was at the one in, in Mexico. We did a show uh, from what I'm guessing are gangsters. They brought us into Mexico. And myself, Ruben Zamora, and Vamp were the producers of this. And uh, it was already messed up when we got there. I could already tell something was going on. Then we get into this room, kind of a production room, but it was so tiny. 
in in like the back of a garage, like a car garage. And they open this door and all these lights come on, kind of like production lights with with colors and stuff. And then uh, they, they turn on this thing and it was like a model of the arena we were going to. Someone built a model and they had all the camera platforms and they wanted me to change where the cameras are and everything. Was that where you put that? Whatever. And so I started talking and everyone was satisfied. And at the end, they all kind of put their hands on their hips <laughs> and everyone had a gun. Like oh, <laughs> everyone. And I was like, well, thank God they, they, they were happy with that. But that's not the point I'm talking about. The next piece is we're all, Juventud was there. Uh, Aaron Aguilera was there. Who else was there? bunch of people were in this van driving to the show and and the federals pull us over they take us all out and we're laying with our face in the dirt on the sidewalk and they all had guns on us and they tore apart completely the van we were in completely tore it apart at gunpoint and i don't know what they were looking for probably nothing and they just messed with us and so all of us wrestlers are on the side of the road and the seats were taken out the bags were thrown and uh so there's that um, then the second time was in Puerto Rico. We were there for Savio, and then we were just on the street at the wrong time. Uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> down there mm. by the casino. <laughs> um, uh. But then, uh, you know, there's just so many stories, so many fun stories, so many ridiculous stories, so many everything. It's just, I've had a lot of fun. Uh, traveling anymore, not even like post 9-11, I've always kind of been this way. Uh, I'm a great tourist. I hate traveling. <laughs> so getting there and getting back, horrible. Um, uh, but when I'm there, we have a great time. Um, I've been to China three times and each time it's been amazing. Uh, and it, the first trip was weird. Like <laughs> no one knew what pro wrestling was and I'm there with the government and it's like really like you see on television or in the movies where it's these levels of government officials all around and Russian sickle or the communist sickle <laughs> all over the place. And here I am in the center, kind of like Walt trying to make a presentation of, well, this is what we're going to do. And this is what wrestling is. And, this, and they're looking at me like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> like, huh? It's a show. That's not real. What? What? You, what? Huh? And so I was there for four or five days and it took two more trips to sell it to them, but they finally signed off on it. We did a show over there, but each time it was ridiculous. The food was ridiculous. Like the most gross things they put in front of you, I think on purpose, <laughs> um, chickens with eyeballs, like, uh, uh, actual claw feet with nails. And like, I remember Nick Aldis when we Cabana, Cabana wrestled all this at the show we did over there. And we were taken to a private sponsor dinner, you know. And so they had the lazy Susan of all the grossest everything. And of course, Cabana is is a cheeseburger guy, you know, like he's Midwest. Uh, Aldous is British. So he's had a little more cuisine and exotic cuisine. Mm -hmm. So I forgot to tell Cabana about like, they don't use ice or any of that stuff. So he goes, you know, go around the table. You like this? You like this? You like this? And um, uh, it gets to me. I said, uh, oh no, a good cabana order. He said, just the water. And I forgot to tell him that it was going to be boiling hot water because <laughs> that's what they serve you, like tea, but it's just boiling water. And 
uh, and then I ordered like oh. you know like a coke a coke with uh, with some ice, and um, oh. and then when it showed up, you know everyone's getting their drinking, and Cabana's sitting there staring at this bubbling cauldron of <laughs> water. And he looks over at our host. He goes, "Am I supposed to wash my clothes in this? Like, what is what is this? Like, do you mm. drink this? Like, this hurts. This will hurt me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that." So there's always fun little anecdotes when you're traveling, and um, and I just try to have fun. I try to smile, but I'm the boss, and that's hard sometimes to smile because. When everything rolls, it rolls and it hits me. So if the boys are unhappy or the venue's unhappy or the government's unhappy or the local gangsters are unhappy, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the guy they usually send in. So luckily I have a jolly demeanor and I can, <laughs> and I can, usually, I can usually giggle my way out of it um, uh, most of the time. Uh, there's been a few times I've had to pay up for us to leave. <laughs> there's a fun quick story about Canada. So I did a I did a tour in Canada and I had Kevin Nash and Mabel and uh Trevor Murdoch and Lance Cade and a bunch of other people and there is like it's it's total the snowstorm, you can't get anywhere in Canada type thing. The side of the mountain had an avalanche, and so we had to go through four different provinces to get to the building, all that stuff. So we were going from one building to another, and that's exactly what happened. That Nash and um it was Nash, Mabel. And uh, who else was in that car? Basically, the main event was stuck somewhere. <laughs> and uh, and Adam Pierce went out as the heel and sang the Canadian National Anthem for almost an hour. Oh so to God. hold the show up. <laughs> and then the people were back and forth. People were singing at us. Adam was singing at them. It was really good, by the way. But, uh, you know, we had this tour. And I was getting my piece. And usually in the States, uh, my relationship with the arenas where we'd get our deposit up front, which we did from the Canadians too, uh, but they would send me a check or wire uh, my piece of the other half back and I would usually have it by the time I get home. Well, the Canadians gave me cash. For some reason, they didn't want to wire the money. And this was, we did three shows. In my pocket, I probably legitimately had $175,000. Wow. And you know you can't get on an airplane, especially international, oh, more than five yeah. five grand or something. So I went. Oh, Waltman was there too. No, I think about it. Waltman was there. So I <laughs> I went. I said, "Okay, yeah." I was like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're all on the same flight. You get three thousand. You get three thousand. You oh get three thousand. You get three thousand. You get five thousand. You." And then we get to the border in uh, Vancouver. And if you've ever gotten there there's like this weird split. So you continue to go domestic or international to terminals. And then the, there's like a consulate and uh, it's another government thing over here. Uh, anyways, uh, I was with a photographer and the photographer got held up by the customs. And sure enough, Mabel and everybody just kept going to their flight. And I was like, yo, come back here. Because they were oh. taking off with the money. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I, I found them all, got all my cash back because we already threw customs and everything. And so by the time I was on the plane, it didn't matter. But uh, yeah, silly stuff like that always happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I love those stories, man. It's really funny. Dave, Dave, it's been a dynamite episode. And I always say, 
time is money. I said it earlier, but before we wrap it up, uh, I just wanted to hit you with 21 totally random questions. Are you just down to play? Sure. Let's, let's see what comes out of this mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your favorite thing in your closet right now? A jacket. <laughs> when things break, do you prefer to fix it or replace? Oh, what? What did you have something for the first one? No, I have a jacket that I like that I've been wearing. A jacket. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> like a jacket. <laughs> yeah, a jacket I have. I just bought it. It feels real good. It's like not so fat, not too skinny. Like you kind of feel okay in the middle. I'm almost uh, fifty, so if you're kind of pudgy, it's kind of like cool that you don't look super fat in it or it's not tight. So it feels uh, pretty good. <laughs> you, you look great, Dave, please. You look great. When, uh, when things break, do you prefer to fix it or replace it? It depends. Uh, I'm pretty good with my hands, so I can fix things. But if it's not worth fixing, get a new one. Uh, what job would you be absolutely horrible at? I don't know, like a bus driver or something. <laughs> What's your favorite movie ever? Uh, there's two of them, I think. I mean, one's a movie called Avalon that Barry Levinson directed. Great picture. And the other might be The Color Purple. Spielberg's The Color Purple. Mm. Uh, number five, you've already pretty much uh, answered it. Uh, what's what's the most disturbing thing you've ever witnessed? Oh, I've I've witnessed some stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the most absurd thing I've ever witnessed. Um, me getting a boot on my car in Atlanta last year because if you've ever been to Atlanta, there's some side of the street you can park on, the other side you have to pay. So me at like three o'clock in the morning yelling at the police and a damn uh, tow truck <laughs> operator because they put a damn boot on my car because I didn't see the sign because it was all the way up the street and the signs up in the sky. <laughs> so me being ridiculous in the streets of Atlanta at three o'clock in the morning outside of a strip club. Oh my goodness. If you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? We can do better. Mm, yeah. I love that. I love that. What 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 what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh unnecessarily horn honking. People who honk their horns. Oh goodness. Oh it yes, bothers me yes. to no end. It's like what who are you honking at? We're all here. We're not gonna none of us are moving. Mm -hmm. My mom's a maniac. She's a maniac when she does that. <laughs> I can't stand it. Uh what makes you anxious? And anticipating. Mm anticipating yep same here what's what's the stupidest thing you've ever done because someone dared you to this has to go back to when i was a kid because i don't get dares anymore <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, i remember i put my head <laughs> dare. I put my head in some bars like a fence. Oh, and oh, and the goodness. and and the fire department had to cut it out. I feel like oh, that... and I was wearing I, and I was wearing handcuffs for some reason. <laughs> oh my I had god! To cut a, I, had to, I had to get both of them cut off. <laughs> <laughs>
I was probably like seven years old. <sighs> What's your favorite swear word? Fuck. <laughs> I'm really good at saying it. Yeah, I think I've probably heard you say say that's so why I just keep laughing. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you uh, heard me say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is one food that you would never give up? <laughs> and the thing is, I'm not like a big foodie. I only eat like five different things. Um, I don't know. My favorite meal is linguine and clams. Wow. So uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to give that up. Mm. Unless it's the if red you, sauce. They can keep the red sauce. I don't like the red sauce. <laughs> if you could have three people over for dinner, dead or alive, who would they be? Uh, Walt Disney. Mm. Um, Jim Henson. And Franklin Roosevelt. Mm. Uh, what's the worst backhanded compliment that you've ever been given? <laughs> Jesus, there's a fucking encyclopedia of those. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah. Have you guys met David Marquez? He has a better aptitude than most in doing this. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, if you could. <laughs> That's Dave. <true. laughs> uh, Dave, this is supposed to be rapid fire. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. If you could be a member of any TV sitcom, what would it be? Like, welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> who, um, um, who is your first celebrity crush? Oh, man. Uh, what's her name? She was just on The Karate Kid, came back. Uh, Elizabeth Shue. Do you know who that is, Arnold? Oh, was she the first love interest of the first Karate Kid? Yeah, Elizabeth Shue. Okay. She was yeah, yeah, in yeah. Adventures, Adventures and Babysitting. And, That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, cocktail boys. Food. What's that? She's also on a new show called The Boys. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth True was that was was my first big screen crush. But I, let me take that back. If if we're really talking for real, Julie Andrews <laughs> is Mary Poppins. <laughs> uh, what's something that you've tried that you'll never try again? Mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, we could talk about it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, gotta keep it PG. Uh, what? Oh, what was your first job? A Disneyland tour guide. Mm -hmm. uh, is there an app that you hate but you use anyway? No. <laughs> uh, is there a personality trait you can't stand? Uh -oh. I think I'm quick. I, I think I'm too quick sometimes. Oh, okay. Too quick. Best yeah, hot-headed, hot, 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 hot-headed quick. Hmm. Like, 
okay. kind of kill something right away when someone might suggest something. I see. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, best gift ever received. Don't uh, don't worry, don't worry. We're almost done, so you can walk. Uh, what's your dog's name? Sport. Sport. Oh, that's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, sport. Sport. Hi, my love. Sport has to go on a walk, huh? Shortly. Um, shortly. Let's let's see. Let's see. Uh, best, best gift, gift ever received. I, I've received so many. Um, that's tough. Uh, I'll be cheesy. The my first Emmy Award. Aww. Yeah, I should be proud of that, man. And last but not least, what product would you seriously stockpile if you found out that they weren't going to sell it anymore? Say it again. Uh, what product would you seriously stockpile if you found out that they weren't selling it anymore? Hmm. That that's my life every week. Everything <laughs> I like goes away. Um, red licorice dots from uh, Seas Candy. Wow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's totally like that, too. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. Dave, seriously, uh, it's been a really fun episode. You, 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 you are the first promoter to be on my little podcast. For me, doing a podcast, it's like therapy for me. I do it because I do it with my real-life neighbor, Arnold, and it's like therapy for me to be able to talk to people that have influenced my career in the wrestling business. So I just wanted to thank you on being on my little old podcast with my boy Arnold. Well, thank you for having me. And, and thanks for being there for me every time I needed you. <laughs> always, always, always. And I still moving forward when things clear up. Uh, if you need me, uh, you call me, baby. You can't have, remember, remember, Dave, you can't have primetime live without the primetime player. Don't get me started now, okay? That's right. But tomorrow you might get a contract <laughs> or something and end up in Japan and I won't see you again. So, <laughs> hey, I'm trying so hard, Dave. I'm trying I know. So I'm, hard. I'm watching. I'm watching. Uh, you know, that's, I'm not that's there at the, I'm, yeah, I'm not there at the New Japan Strong tapings as much anymore, but uh, my company produces that if, if, the, if the public doesn't yes. know. And yes. um, so I watch everything. I see all the raw stuff. I see all the angles. I see everything. You are trying. That's definitely true. Yeah. So I just got to, you know, just stay healthy, stay in shape, and uh, just keep, you know, representing. So that's my goal to go out there, you know, for the first time ever. So I just got to keep speaking it into existence. It's going to happen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. It was nice Thank meeting you, you man. It's been a pleasure talking to you and have fun walking your dog. <laughs> It's never fun, but thank you. <laughs> oh, See you, sport. See ya. See you, sport. Uh, bye, sport. Have a good night. Another great episode, man. Um, I, I love him. He's, he's such a jolly, fun guy. And I could listen to his stories all day, man. <laughs> oh, episode 66 is uh, in the can. And uh, first promoter and first guy to, like I said, tell me to pack my bags pack my gear and come out to the West Coast to wrestle. So um, Dave, I owe it to him. And he allowed me to be creative in 2020, you know, when things were very down and out, no crowds. He allowed me to be creative uh, on Primetime Live and create content for my IG and continue to do what I love. 
then uh, I needed to have him on, you know, anyone yeah. that's near, near and dear to me, I always have them on the podcast. So yeah, uh, it's good. To, it's, it's good to have the OG on Dave Marquez. Absolutely, man. Uh, have you been watching a little bit of pro wrestling this week? Uh, I just see what pops up on the internet. Um, or on social media i don't like watch watch your shows uh in its entirety uh i love to see that wrestlemania that they've got their dates picked for the next three years you know and and stephanie mcmahon's reason behind that was because families want to be able to plan out ahead you know so uh to have the three wrestlemania dates be advertised now you know people can plan it out so that's a really cool thing really cool thing but i'm really surprised that this year is going to be uh in tampa where it was originally supposed to be last year they're going to that same stadium and i'll i find it really well it makes sense but it was like the first time i saw the logo i'm like wait a minute that's the same logo as last year but of course it makes sense because they didn't get to use the the props, like, you know, the big pirate ship, and now they can use that for the show. But what's confusing me is, what are they gonna do with the crowds? You know, how can it be in a big outdoor arena when- Yeah, well, well, I mean, they've already said that they're doing it two nights. They'll have 25 in, in, in the, um, in the uh, you know, the, uh, the stadium, the dome. <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm just flubbing up. I'm just flubbing up, uh, but they'll have 25,000 fans. Uh, first night, 25,000 fans the second night. Okay, so I didn't know that. So it's going to be kind of like half filled a little bit, huh? Spread out. Yeah, it's like 10%, you know, like um, AEW, they run shows, uh, 10%, you know, so 1,000 fans. So spread out, it sounds wow. kind of echoey. So 1,000 fans are allowed to come into an AEW show. Wow, that's that's that has to be so exciting for the wrestlers, you know, finally uh, performing in front of fans. I bet they're really looking forward to it. I had no idea. That's that's really cool. Yeah, well, I think each show is going to be three hours long. Saturday and Sunday for the WrestleMania is three hours long because they want to have probably like a curfew. They want to be sure. done by a certain time, you know, because you know COVID is still running rampant. Oh, so, of course. Um, I'm curious to see what the other organizations are going to do. Um, under WWE, are they going to be able to run out outdoor shows? Is New Japan going to be able to run in Florida? Are they going to do anything? Yeah, um, we'll have to see. You know, yeah. I just hope that my name is on the uh, billboard. <laughs> Did you see that uh, Matt Cardona made his debut at Impact Wrestling? <clears throat> I saw that. I saw that. That's. Um, are they doing a cross promotion? Was it just like a one-time deal or whatever he was doing with AEW? Uh, he doesn't know himself because <laughs> uh, he was, uh, I was watching his vlog on his uh, YouTube channel and, um, you know, it's his journey leaving his house in the morning on Saturday, going there to the hotel. And at the end, he's like, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm here. Like, I really needed that. I needed to work. I need to do my promo. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know if it's like a one-time thing. I don't know how if this is going to last for long, but, uh, you know, I'm open to the opportunity. So, I don't know. The thing is, I get the impression that he's no longer with AEW, right? Because, like, he's, yeah, like, he's been... Yeah, eight. I don't know. I don't know. His last match was in September, so it's been quite a while, and, like, 
they've been joking like you know brian uh Kurt hawkins has been teasing him saying that matt retired <laughs> but um uh, but obviously like that's a joke but uh yeah i i don't know but i think it's good to see him in impact because um i think the roster i think aw has a bigger roster so i think with impact having him he'll definitely have more uh more time for him yeah definitely <clears throat> Definitely. It's funny. I don't want to mention any names, but like uh, probably two wrestlers have reached out to me about getting into uh, New Japan. I'm like, from what where? Are you, like, huh? Two wrestlers from where? Two wrestlers. One, one is really, one is really well known. And the other one is, um, is uh is still on the independence you know i i i've done my thing as a, a group i've done my thing my thing as a ta tag team i've done a little stuff with bob Backlund, but this is an opportunity for me if i'm doing it by myself i'm going to do it by myself you know what i mean yeah or like or the or the independent guy if if i think that he would be a good fit then i would you know put my name on the line but in this situation, I got to worry about myself. And that's the one piece of advice I would always tell Titus, worry about yourself. Because <laughs> there would be times, there would be times when Titus would help people out. And I'm like saying to myself, man, like, just stay in your lane. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I'm all about helping people out. But some people just, uh, just, that's just how I am. That's just the Scorpio in me. You know, if, if I think someone deserves it, I'm going to put my name on the line. Yeah. If I don't. You know, it's just, it's just what it is. Yeah. But, uh, and Titus would always say, worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. I like it, man. I like it. What, what's your favorite match at the Royal Rumble that you're looking forward to? Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to Goldberg and, uh, uh, Drew. Huh? and Drew. And you think that Goldberg's going to win, huh? Goldberg's going to win. Wow. I can't see that happening, man. That because in that case, like if Goldberg does win, it's it's it becomes laughable because they all like that's gonna be a pattern of giving Goldberg the championship before Mania just to have him lose it at Mania. That's gonna be really predictable if Goldberg wins, but we shall see. We don't know, man. Yep, I'm just gonna happen. Mark it down because okay. uh, because when you have him on, it's ratings, right? Uh, yeah, that is true. We can't take that away from him. And who do you think is gonna win the Royal Rumble this year for uh, male and female? Uh, Keith Lee. Ooh, good one, good one, good one. Keith Lee, and then for the women, uh, uh, I'm not sure to be honest with you. I'm just, I, I would just, I would just ramble off any name. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I was gonna just say Natty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say Natty and have her put another milestone on her career. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up for today's episode, episode 66 of Pro and Bro. Man, it was such an honor talking to David Marquez. Such a fun guy to talk to. Um, you know, he, he has that energy that you can just like vibe with for a really long time. And he's his stories are all super entertaining. Yeah. Um, anytime I see him, I'm always smiles. Uh, so I'm glad that he was able to be on our podcast and share his story.
Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for watching. And if you guys are watching us on YouTube, make sure you guys subscribe and leave a comment down below. And if you guys are listening to us on iTunes, make sure you don't forget to give us a five-star rating and give us a review so we can know what we can do better. And until then, block the hate, salute the great, baby.